0: Now, anytime you watch a sports game, maybe baseball, football, soccer, basketball, before the game when they're announcing the teams, oftentimes the commentators will give you the keys to the game. Well, here in Philippians chapter 3, we find the Apostle Paul. He was a Christian who apparently enjoyed sports because he mentioned sports from time to time in his writings. But the thing I believe he enjoyed the most was winning in the Christian life. Look at our text, Philippians 3 and verse 8. We'll start with that verse. Paul says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. Notice that I may win Christ. And I want to preach a message tonight entitled, The Keys to Winning in the Christian Life. And when you see the example of a winning Christian, You must follow the Bible's advice to winning in your spiritual life. Notice seven keys to winning here in our text. And we'll go quickly. Number one, key number one, never rely on your own ability is the blank. Never rely on your own ability. Let's look at the text. Philippians 3, verses 3 through 6. For we are the circumcision, Paul said, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And notice the next phrase. He said, and have no confidence in the flesh. What is he saying? Don't trust. Don't rely in your own ability. Now, he goes on to say, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man think that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Paul had a pretty awesome uh, resume, you might say. And if anyone could have relied upon his own abilities, it was, it was Saul at this point. Uh, he was circumcised the eighth day. We don't have time to look at each one of these things, but let me tell you, each one of these things he mentions was very important and would have been looked at with great respect. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Now, today, when we hear the word Pharisee, we look down on that word. But back then, Pharisees were, were very well respected in the Jewish community and looked up to. Verse 6, he says, concerning zeal, Persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, as far as sports go, the advice that you would give to a sports player is very different than the advice that we have here in the scriptures for us spiritually and winning. You know, in sports, it's all about your ability. It's all about relying on your talents. And and let me say tonight, I'm not saying that we don't work at developing talents in our life that we don't work at abilities, in our life, but we can't depend on those things. And there's a fine line between those two things. I think we should work to be excellent and to do our best with things, to do our best in school. But there's a fine line between working at your abilities and relying and trusting on, in your own abilities. But in the Christian life, real ability has to do with your ability to rely on God. That's real ability. How well can you rely on the Lord? When Paul was Saul, his name meant big. We might say big shot. And his confidence was in himself. But something changed in his life. It's it's not Saul writing here in the book of Philippians. It's Paul. And the word Paul, named Paul, means small. He went from big shot to little shot. And it took an encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, where the Lord appeared to him. And blinded Paul's eyes. Paul, at that point, and I don't know if you've ever had something physically, something physically happened to you that you realize, wow. I remember I got vertigo from the brain tumor that I have. And my world was spinning. And I remember laying there, in but I could not even lift my head up without getting sick and thinking, oh, am I going to be this way the rest of my life? Let me tell you, it shook my world. I've had several things like that physically. Have you ever had something like that? Paul, he was blind. He had to rely on other people to bring him. This is totally different than anything he'd ever experienced in his life. What was God doing? Well, one, he was bringing him to a saving knowledge of himself. But two, he was preparing him for spiritual victory. You see, spiritual victory isn't about us. It's about him. It's not about relying on. Upon ourselves. Listen how Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 5. He was a changed man at this point. He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Who's it talking about? Is this the same guy? He said, yeah, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but notice, in demonstration of the spirit and a power. Let me tell you, that's what we need, Temple Baptist Church. We need the power of God. On our lives. We need His Spirit to work through us. And He says in verse 5 that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Listen, the key to winning is not relying on ourselves, but to depend on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, whose abilities tonight are you relying upon? Notice the second key to winning not only never rely on your own ability, but we see number two, key number two, never settle for less than the best. Never settle for less than the best. Let's look at verses 7 through 8. It says there, but what things, Philippians 3, 7 through 8, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the, and there's two phrases I want you to notice. Notice, excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, here's the other one, that I may win Christ. Paul didn't want to settle for anything less than the best. Now notice that word excellency there. It comes from a Greek word, two parts, hoop or echo. It literally means to hold above, to, 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 to have over something. You're, you're trying to go as high as you can with something. Excellency. But I'm afraid many Christians settle for good rather than striving for the best, for excellency. St. Jerome said it this way, good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. But listen to me tonight. The truth is that Satan is happy to offer the Christian all sorts of good substitutes so long as you don't go after what is God's best in your life. And think about it. There's examples all through the scripture. He offered Eve one piece of fruit instead of all the fruit that God had given Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. He offered Abraham and Sarah, Ishmael, the son of the bondwoman, instead of Isaac, the son of promise. He offered a golden calf down in the camp, instead of the Shekinah glory on the mount that we've heard pastor preaching about recently. He offered Israel, a king, to rule over them, rather than God himself ruling them. He offered Judas 30 pieces of silver instead of the king of kings himself. He offers to religious people all over the world self-righteous rags instead of robes of pure white that come through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he offers a season of fun here on earth rather than an eternity of joy in heaven. Excellency, God's best, not just what is good, but what is best for us. But notice the phrase there, that I may win. Cardino, it means to gain, to win Christ, to gain Christ. In order to gain something, we see in this passage that sometimes you have to lose something. Notice four times here in verses 7 through 8, a form of the word lose or loss is used. In the early 1990s, a talented young man worked as a senior vice president for a New York City investment firm. And despite his successful uh, job and, and pay, uh, he decided that he was going to leave that company because he had noticed the, the up-and-coming internet and the possibilities that were there. Well, despite his family members and his friends uh, really giving him a hard time, he moved out to Seattle, and he started a small business. It started off as an online bookstore, well, after a while, that was successful, and he expanded to, to, to selling different things online. And he started off in his garage. He would pack and ship his own things. Well, over time, because of his excellent customer service and, and great insight and, and growth there in the company in different areas and expanding to different things, he became very successful. So successful that, that today that company is worth $1.44 trillion dollars. Who was this young businessman that was willing to give up a good job, a good salary for something far better? Jeff Bezos, founder and owner of Amazon. Hey, listen, as Christians, if we want excellency, as it says here, if we want to win Christ like Paul, we may have to give up what may seem good to us in order to have what God knows is best for us. Would you notice key number three? Never settle for less than the best. But number three, always depend upon your best player. Always depend upon your best player. Look at verse 9. And be found in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Always depend upon your best teammate. And I know, I mean no disrespect in the analogy, but let me say, the best teammate you will ever have is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I remember playing soccer in high school. Most of us on the team were baseball players and basketball players. And the reason we played soccer no offense to soccer players here today, was to get ready for baseball and basketball season. It got us in shape for those seasons. But so, uh, Sorry, Brother Scott, but we, we, we enjoyed it. We weren't very good, except we had one guy on the team. His name was Alex Cologne. Alex could do anything with a soccer ball. And basically, our game plan was get the ball to Alex. And whatever success we had that year, I kid you not, it was because... Alex touched the ball. It wasn't about any of the rest of us. I mean, when I touched the ball, good things did not happen. But when Alex touched the ball, uh, there were times we won strictly because of our best player. It's interesting how championship teams generally have a player who elevates the team's level of play. Perhaps the most famous player to do this was one Michael Jordan, in fact there's a lot of debate as to whether the Bulls would have ever won a championship if it wasn't for perhaps the greatest player I would say the greatest player in basketball playing on their team. With Jordan they won 6 championships. When he was on the court everyone's stats went up because he rose through his leadership. He he raised the level of gameplay. He influenced his teammates. But Jordan decided to retire and got, I guess he was so successful, he got bored of it and he went and played baseball. It's interesting, during that year, they made the playoffs, but they didn't even get past the second round. Well, a couple years he comes back, and in his first full season back with the Bulls, they had one of the best records ever 72 and 10, and they won another championship. Relying on your best player. Whether we're talking about salvation, as we see here in these verses, or success as a Christian, the key is found in depending on the one who gives the victory. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 4 through 5 says, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh. Overcometh, that's a winning word. That's a word of victory right there. The world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. But what is our faith placed in? Who is our faith placed in? Well, the next verse says, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, let me tell you tonight, in order for your soul to have victory, in order for you to gain heaven, you can't have salvation except through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that his name is the only name given Under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. If you're trusting in your own works, if you're trusting in some other way, other than the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, tonight you're not going to find spiritual victory. You're not going to have an eternal home in heaven, but the opportunity is there to depend on the Lord Jesus Christ, to put your faith completely in him, to wash your sins away. His blood that he shed on the cross is sufficient... To wash all of our sins away and give us the promise of a home in heaven one day. Have you put your faith, have you depended upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Maybe you've been struggling lately as a Christian. Maybe you haven't had many successful days lately. Maybe you've been struggling in your job, in your testimony with others. Maybe you've been struggling in your family and your relationship with others. I don't know where the struggles are in your life, but can I tell you success comes through dependence Upon the one who can give you victory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe tonight you need to come and say, Lord, I've been depending a little bit too much on myself. Tonight, I'm back to depending upon you. Because key to victory is always depend upon your best player. Notice number four, always make sure that you know the game plan. Always make sure that you know, and that's the key word, know the game plan. Because notice in Philippians 3.10, the first part of that verse There's some things that you need to get to know. Specifically, there's a person that you need to get to know. Because it says that I may know him, speaking of Christ, and the power of his resurrection. And we love that. I want to know God's power. But notice it goes on to say, and the fellowship of his sufferings. You know what Paul was saying? I want to know God so bad. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection. But I want to know God so bad that I'm willing to know him even through the struggles. Even through the suffering and the trials, that's how bad I want to know him. Listen, you can really mess things up if you don't know the game plan. You can mess your life up. In 1964, during an NFL game between the Minnesota Vikings and the San Francisco 49ers, now I don't remember this game, this was before me, but a guy by the name of Jim Marshall, anybody remember the name Jim Marshall? Anybody? Okay, all right, good. Jim Marshall a defensive lineman for the Vikings made a notable and unfortunate mistake. Maybe some of you remember this. Marshall recovered a fumble. That's good. But this wasn't good. And thinking he was heading toward the end zone for a touchdown, he ran the wrong way down the field. He unintentionally scored a safety for the opposing team, resulting in a two-point loss for his own team. I mean, this is something that you would, you would expect to, to see in, in a junior high game or peewee football or something like that. Marshall's lack of awareness regarding the field's orientation and the game situation caused him to inadvertently give points to the other team. And despite his long and successful career, the thing that he's particularly remembered for was this play. That's sort of sad, isn't it? I mean, he had, a, he had success and he, and he played well in other areas, but the thing he's remembered for was running the football the opposite direction because he wasn't really paying attention to what was going on there in the game. You know, I'm shocked by how many Christians really don't know the game plan. Christians that don't know their Bibles. You know what God says about that? Hosea 4 and verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, when it comes to knowing the game plan, knowing the game plan means knowing the playbook. It means knowing this book. And God has given us his design for our life. How well do you know it? God has given us the answers to life. Have you found the answers in this book? Even Christians go looking for answers in all sorts of other places. Listen, don't go looking for answers on the internet. Don't go looking for life's answers on chat GPT. Can I tell you where the true answers are gonna come from? They're gonna come from getting in the inspired and blessed word of God. This is where you're gonna find the answers to your life. Base everything that in your life upon this book. Do you know why you believe what you believe? And I'm not just talking young people. Young people, you need to know why you believe what you believe because one day, you're going to be out of your parents' house and you need to have the word of God to stand on for convictions in your life so that you're not blown about with every wind of doctrine. But let me tell you, adults, that's us too. I don't just see young people blown about with every wind of doctrine. I see full-grown adults that are blown about. If we don't stand squarely upon the word of God and live our life by the principles and the convictions of God's word, we're not going to find spiritual victory. Psalm 119, verse 42, the Bible gives us the answer. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. The Bible gives us comfort in Psalm 119 and verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The Bible gives us direction. Psalm one hundred nineteen, one hundred five. thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible gives us victory over sin. Psalm 119, 133, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. How do we keep from sinning? It's through the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Knowing the game plan means knowing the playbook. But, you know, knowing the game plan means knowing the enemy. You know, uh, a lot of teams work hard to know and, and strategize against the opposing team. And they'll watch hours and hours of video before they come to play a certain opponent. And they'll try to pick apart their weaknesses. And in fact, teams have gotten in trouble for sending spies to video practices of other teams. And they've gotten in trouble for this. Uh, recently, a baseball team got in trouble. I think it was the Astros, if I remember right. I hope I'm not accusing the wrong team. Uh, for, for cheating and, and figuring out the signs of another team. Well, that is part of the strategy is knowing the enemy. Now, obviously, cheating isn't a good thing. But 2 Corinthians 2.11 says this. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let me tell you, uh, Satan is, is deceiving He is cunning. He's a serpent. And Christians, we have to use great wisdom. We have to to be aware for our family's sake. We have to be alert. We have to be watching and and protective because there's all sorts of attacks in this world. And yet there's a lot of parents that uh, hand a device to their child without even knowing what they're looking at, put a computer in their room and have no clue what's What's raising them? Listen, you've got to know the enemy. But you've got to know, knowing the game plan means knowing your captain. That's what it says right here in Philippians 3.10. It says that I may know him. He's our captain. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I love the hymn. More about Jesus, let me learn. More of his holy will, discern. Spirit of God, my teacher, be. Showing the things of Christ to me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness, see. More of his love, who died. For me, let me tell you, victory's gonna come through knowing him better. Key number five, we've seen always make sure that you know the game plan. Number five, always be teachable. Look at verse 10, the second part of that verse, and then we'll go on to verse 11. It says, being made conformable. That word conformable really shows uh, the idea of being teachable, willing to change. Being made conformable unto his death. Verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now listen, everyone wants to attain. That word attain means to arrive. But not everyone is willing to conform, to be teachable, to be willing to change. To begin our vacation, uh, Saturday we went over here to Redskin Training Camp. I mean, literally, hop, skip, and jump away this little bubble over here. Uh, that's, That's the Redskin Park. We went there for the Redskin Training Camp and I guarantee you, every player that we saw out there I guarantee every one of them wants to make that team. At least, well, maybe not lately, but but I think things are turning around. I think I think every player there would want to make that team. I think every player there would like to be a starter on that team. And I'm sure if you asked every one of those players, every one of them would want to win a championship. Would want to win a Super Bowl. But interestingly enough, while every one of them would want to make the team, be a starter, and win a championship. I can't guarantee you that every one of those players are teachable. You know, you take a, a, a someone who has uh, all the talent in the world, but they're not teachable, versus someone who has you know raw talent, but they're willing to learn. They're willing to listen. They're willing to change. Let me tell you, a coach would rather have that guy than this guy every day. Why? Because you can do something with someone who is teachable. Young people, listen to me. Listen, be teachable. I don't know why it is hard sometimes to uh, learn from people that we're close to, but listen, learn from your parents. Learn from your teachers. Learn from your youth pastor. Be teachable. Don't think that you know everything. None of us know everything there is to know. All of us have room to grow. You know what I love about David's prayer in Psalm 139, 23 through 24? It wasn't just that David was willing to let God search him. And that's important. It wasn't just that David said he wanted God to know him or or to try him. All those things are important, but it's what he said at the end of that. Search me, know me, try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. It's this phrase, though, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, there's a lot of Christians that God shows them what's in their heart that shouldn't be there. God tries them and puts them through tests and trials. But in the end, Not everyone's willing to change and go the direction God's trying to get them to go. Are you willing to go in the direction where God is leading you in the way everlasting? When you come to church, I want to encourage you to come with this attitude. Lord, whatever you show me that I need to change, I'll change it. Father, whatever you show me that I need to surrender, I'll give it up. Lord Jesus, whatever you show me your will to be, I'm willing to do it. And I tell you, come to church each time, maybe even saying a prayer to the Lord. Lord, I'm willing to change. Teach me. Key number five, always be teachable. Key number six, always be humble. Look at verses uh, 12 through 13. He says this. uh, You know, Paul, again, Uh, one of the greatest Christians ever lived, but listen to the humility in what he says, not as though I had already attained. I haven't arrived. We've seen that word already. Either we're already perfect. I'm not perfect. But I follow after it that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, verse 13, I count not myself to have apprehended. He says it again. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and by the way, that's part of humility. We'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, pride has brought down many a potential champion. I thought it was interesting going to that Redskin camp. You know, one of the most humble players that I met there, and I actually got his signature, but it was the guy who's had the most success there, Terry McLaren. And I was amazed. I actually went two days. I went on Friday and I went on Saturday. And at the end of practice, and it was during that hot time, when it was like 90-something degrees, he must have spent 35, 40 minutes there signing signatures for all sorts of fans. I noticed another guy, and I'm not trying to put anybody down, but another guy, Chase Young. How many of you have heard of Chase Young? Uh, supposed to be this great player. Hasn't really been able to do much for us yet. I hope this is the year, but I just thought it was interesting. Here's Terry, Terry McLaren signing all these autographs in the heat, sweating after this hor- horribly difficult practice, and then Chase Young says, hey, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some high fives as I come by, so get your cameras out and put your hands up, and two minutes later, he's done, he's inside. It's interesting, the guy who had the most accomplishments was one of the most humble, and the guy who hasn't had a lot of accomplishments sort of didn't come across that, that way. Let me tell you, if you're going to win spiritually, if you're going to be a spiritual champion, you've got you've to be someone who's humble. In Super Bowl 27, I wish Pastor was here, because this was sort of an illustration for him, but anyhow, a guy by the name of Leon Lett. How many can guess what team he played on? The Dallas Cowboys. He was headed toward the end zone. And uh, he had the football in his hand. He had gotten a fumble and was sprinting toward the end zone. He looked back and thought nobody was around. And he thought he would showboat a little bit. And as he came to the end zone, he took the football and he held it out. And all of a sudden, one of the Bills players, just before he got in the end zone, stripped the ball out. And he, he lost the touchdown. <laughs> It's uh, go on YouTube. It's actually sort of a funny video to watch. I suppose if you're a Redskins fan, it's even more funny. But anyhow, hey, you know what that was? Pride. And the Bible says, "Pride goeth before fall." Pride goeth before destruction. Listen, if there's one thing that will put you at odds with God, it is pride. God says, "I hate pride." You know, there's certain things He mentions that He hates. Seven things. Guess what's part of that list? A proud look. James 4 6 says this, but he giveth more grace. That's what we need if we're going to win spiritually. We need his grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Hey, lower yourself in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. Don't let pride get in the way of having spiritual victory. Are you willing to forget your accomplishments? He says there in the last part of that verse, he says, uh, forgetting those things which are behind. You know, sometimes we have some successes. We have accomplishments, and we can get lifted up about those things. Not Paul. Paul said, I'm forgetting those things. There's more things to accomplish for God and with his help, and I'm going to forget the things that I could be lifted up in pride about, and I'm going to ask God in a humble spirit to help me to find more victories. In my spiritual life. Notice key number seven, and we're done. Never quit. Never quit. Notice he says the second part of verse 13, reaching forth. You get the picture of a runner reaching for the finish line. You know, those sprinters are coming down the lane and, and they all get to the end, and what do they do? They stick their head out of their arm out of where they can to try to be the first one, first part across that, that finish line. That's what he says. They're reaching forth into those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you what you don't hear in that verse. You don't hear the attitude of a quitter. You hear somebody who by God's grace wanted to finish his race. I always enjoyed watching the Olympics as a kid. I remember <clears throat> watching the Dream Team and uh, you know uh, Michael Jordan, of course, and, and Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, Larry Bird, Patrick Ewing. Uh, I remember watching, I think, every one of the games that they played, the Dream Team, and I had this coat I had gotten out of a Kellogg's box, it wasn't worth, it. it wasn't very nice, it was very thin and everything, but it had their pictures on it, and man, I was proud of that, that, that coat, you know, that I got out of a cereal box. But I remember, I also enjoyed watching racing uh, in the Olympics, and maybe because my dad was a runner, my brother was a runner, and I was watching, this was a race, a 400 meter race, and that's one time around the track, my brother uh, did that. And in this particular race, this is uh, Barcelona, 1992. The stadium was full. And in this particular race, there was a guy by the name of Derek Redman. And the race began, and all the runners are sprinting around the track as fast as they can go. And about halfway around that track, Derek Redman pulls up because he had a horrible injury in his hamstring. And he falls to the ground. The rest of the runners, runners continue sprinting around. And there he is laying on the ground. And everybody's sort of watching the race, but at the same time, oh, man, look at this guy. He's hurt. Well, he gets up, and he starts to try to hobble his way to the finish line. And you can see him grimacing in pain. You can see him really having difficulty going around the track, but he was determined to finish the race. Well, he, he started going a little slower, and you could see there was even more pain in him in his, in his face when all of a sudden somebody bolted onto the track. It was none other than his father, Jim Redman. His father came over and grabbed his son, And they started together going toward that finish line. Suddenly, the stadium that had cheered a little bit for the runners that had won began to really chant and cheer, You can do it. You can finish. And as they crossed that finish line together, step by step, the crowd erupted in a roar of excitement. Here's a guy who was determined to finish the race. What a great example. Hebrews twelve one through two tells us we're in a race, we're being watched. It says, "Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses." Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let me tell you, your pastors are cheering you on, your teachers are cheering you on, your parents are cheering you on. I don't know who all can see from heaven. It says there's a Great cloud of witnesses uh, cheering us on so that we'll finish our race. And listen, the best motivation you could ever get is what it says then in verse 2. The one who finished his race for us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Of anybody who could have quit or should have quit, it was the Lord Jesus. Could have been while he was there going down the road to Golgotha and he fell underneath the cross. He could have said, that's it. Could have been there as he hung on the cross and people were coming by him and making fun of him, mocking him, and reviling him. It says, for, who the, who, for the joy that was set before him and near the cross, despising the shame. He could have said, This is it. I'm dying for these people. He could have called 10,000 angels. But he didn't. He finished it. He said, It is finished. He finished the work of salvation for us. Look, there's no better example to not quit than to look at our Savior, Jesus Christ, who didn't quit for us. Life will have its fair share of difficulties and trials, not to mention opposition from the enemy, but God's grace, and with the Lord Jesus Christ at our side, you can finish your race well for God. I trust you'll take these keys for winning the Christian race this week to heart as you continue to run your race for God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. The pianist is going to come and we we'll just have a time of invitation. Maybe the Lord's spoken to your heart in one of these areas, humility, teachability, relying on God and not on ourself, not quitting. I don't know how the Lord's worked in your heart tonight, but maybe you've lost a little bit of focus in the spiritual race, and you, you need to come tonight and just say, Lord, help me to get back on track I want to see spiritual victory in my life. Father, would you work in hearts tonight as only you can? Help us to follow the keys that we find in your word to spiritual victory. In Jesus' name.